So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. If you can believe it, we are about halfway through the 2015 federal election campaign, and we are approaching a very likely historic outcome. I mean, we have three parties polling very close to one another. This has never really happened before in the history of our federal politics. And something I've been really wanting to explore on this program is what happens after October 19th. What happens if one party doesn't get a clear mandate to govern as we're often used to in our elections? Will they have to cooperate with each other? Can they cooperate with each other? What about this whole demonized notion of coalitions? We've got two excellent guests from the west side of the country to sound off on coalitions, minorities, and the possibility that our politicians are actually going to have to work together. Oh, and that Andre Demise guy will join us afterwards, too. I'm Desmond Cole. Andre Demise is stuck in traffic. This is Canada Land Commons. This episode of Canada Land Commons is brought to you by Canadian journalists for free expression. CJFE is a fantastic organization that works to protect the right to free expression in Canada and around the world, which is important for all of us, not just people like me who work in the media. I asked Executive Director Tom Hennifer about people's right to know what the Canadian government is up to. There isn't really any legal way to make the government give out information. They pass what's called the Public Servants Disclosure Act, which basically means that anyone who works for the government is not allowed to talk to media. They have to get five, six, seven layers of approvals before they can say anything. The situation is so bad in Canada for journalists that whenever they're working on a story that has an international angle, especially with the United States, they almost always get their information from the states instead of from Canada. Because if they file an access request in Canada, the government will find a loophole to prevent the information from getting out. In the United States, they can go and they can get the information within a week or two. We need organizations like CJFE to keep pressure on our government to let us know what they're doing. But they need your support to keep that work going. Listeners of Commons can get a 70% discount on CJFE memberships if they enter the word Canada Land when they sign up. Do it, guys. Let's get our government officials talking. Today we're joined by Mikhailo Prestupa in Vancouver. 
Mikhailo is a senior reporter at the National Observer and wrote a great story on the likelihood of a minority government in this election and the possible repercussions of that outcome. Good morning, Mikhailo. Thank you, and good morning, Desmond. We're also joined by Paul Ferry in Calgary. Paul is a political science instructor at the University of Calgary. And it, my notes here say, Paul, that you're doing modeling for the Globe and Mail? Yeah, I'm, I'm running the model for the Globe election forecast. So we're sort of converting the polls into predictions about the seats. Oh, that kind of modeling. I was thinking of another kind. Excellent. Yeah, I am quite sure. <laughs> If only our radio listeners could see you right now. <laughs> so, um, Paul, let me start with you, actually. The way things are looking in this election right now, what do you think is the most likely outcome or outcomes uh, for the, the way the House of Commons will look after October 19th? I mean, certainly the, the big prediction so far that, that you can see just from the polling data is that it'll probably be a minority government. So it essentially means that no party will win more than, than half of the seats. Who is going to win exactly? It's, it's in a state of... Uh, incredible flux right now. I mean, the NDP seems slightly ahead, but it's really, really close. Now, Mikhailo, you've also written about the possibility of minority government. Uh, we've been in this territory before in Canada, but remind our listeners what that really means. Okay, well, just recently in 2006 and 2008, the Conservatives had two minority governments, and they ruled as if they had a majority government trying to propose bills. Some survived, some didn't, like gun control initially. Practically speaking, if Conservatives come close to a threshold of majority, which is 170 seats, that's what they need to have a majority. If they don't come close to that, the, the political experts I've talked to, strategists, pollsters, say Harper could be toast in this election because politically, this would be a setback for the conservative parties if they lose their majority. No doubt. But now, Mikhailo, when you talk about uh, governing as if you have a majority, what does that mean? Does that mean that in 2006 and 2008 that the conservatives did not try to reach out and make legislation with the other parties? Well, absolutely they did. And they had to make compromises. There's three kinds of minority governments that are possible. You can govern as the conservatives did, going bill to bill, trying to make laws happen in Canada. But the other possibilities are a formal coalition, which have almost never happened in Canada. Outside of peacetime, they've never happened. So coalitions are when two parties share seats of cabinet. So for example, if it were a conceivably an NDP liberal coalition, suppose Mulcair would be prime minister and Justin Trudeau would be the deputy prime minister. This is not likely because the junior partner in a coalition usually suffers politically the next election. And that's what happened in the UK with the Conservatives who did a coalition with the third place party, the Liberal Democrats. But then the Liberal Democrats this year in 2015 got wiped off the map. So the other possibility is an accord. That's where you have a couple of parties who say, you know what, let's just agree to support each other on certain kinds of proposals, maybe abstain from controversial votes, but not distribute the cabinet seats. That's the kind of outcome that's most likely if, if a minority government occurs. Paul, what happens if the conservatives who have been the government for the last almost 10 years now, what happens if they secure a really small minority? They, they, they just kind of squeak out the other couple of parties, but the other two uh, major parties, the NDP and Liberals, have combined way more seats than the conservatives. What happens in that case? Well, certainly uh, 
under our uh, the rules of our system, what happens is the incumbent government gets sort of the first chance to form a new government. So sometimes you're defeated and it's pretty obvious, so you're not going to try to form government. So in, in 1993, Kim Campbell wasn't really going to put up a big effort with the two seats that, that she was able to win. But uh, the conservatives would certainly get the first crack, and one would imagine that they would try to uh, maintain the confidence of the House at least for a little while. Does that set up the possibility, however, that the other two parties might say, well, look, we're much bigger combined than you are, and we'd like to put an agenda together, so we're actually going to try and overtake you? Is that possible after October 19th as well? I mean, I mean that's definitely possible. I, I think that for whatever reason, Canadians have sort of soured on the idea uh, of coalitions, so they might not want to start with that as their sort of opening gambit. But if they can demonstrate quite quickly that the Conservatives don't have the confidence of the House of Commons, then they could perhaps form a coalition some number of weeks later. This is sort of what happened in Ontario in 1985, when there was a, a slim uh, minority government for the Conservatives. And then after a few weeks, the Liberals and NDP ended up forming the government. One of the commentators that I, that I spoke with, Tom Flanagan, who's a Tory strategist, used to work for Prime Minister Stephen Harper. He said, much depends on the margin away from the majority territory. So if it's just a couple of seats away, you could foresee a Conservative government trying to face the House of Commons. But if he is like 40 or 50 seats away, but still holds the first place position, the political strategists I've talked to, nearly all of them say that this government, a Conservative government, even if it wins a first place position, but is far away from a majority, would be taken out at the first opportunity, which is the throne speech. So you're likely looking at a scenario where a conservative government could be defeated as early as January or February 2016. And the reason being is that this government have calcified its relationships with the other parties so badly that there's just no appetite right now among liberals or New Democrats and certainly Greens to, to, to back up this government. Mikhaila, let me stick with you and ask, this sounds like a potentially very historic event. This doesn't happen very often in our federal politics. Can you comment on uh, the fact that Canadians might have to deal with a situation that we're almost never used to seeing federally with the three parties so close? Desmond, this is very exciting. I, you know, probably not in generations have we had such an exciting election. We've got a situation where all three of the major parties stand to come away with a lot of seats. And Paul can back this up with his numbers. So you've got a situation where any two parties could combine to effectively run a government. And so this has important implications, I think, for even the voter. There's a large proportion of the Canadian electorate who say, we don't want Stephen Harper anymore. So if that is your inclination, who do you vote for knowing it will be a minority parliament? Some say, because the Liberal Party under Justin Trudeau, who has already announced that he's willing to support major elements of the Conservative program, like Bill C-51, with some amendments. The NDP has not. It's, it's rejected that. You can almost imagine liberals potentially backing up a Conservative government. Now, I asked that question to Justin Trudeau myself in a recent news scrum, and he flatly rejected that. He said very carefully that he would not enter into a coalition 
with Harper. He was less strident when he talked about Tom Mulcair as Prime Minister, but ultimately, if it meant that Trudeau could remain in some position of power as an informal partner in a conservative minority, might he do it? That's a question for voters. Paul, you want to come in on that? I'll, I'll start this off by saying the reason I like politics is I think it's really entertaining. So I'm, I'm always uh, keen to, uh, to have sort of an entertaining outcome. And one thing that's quite likely right now is that you could have the three parties all within about 10 seats of one another. So what would happen, for instance, if the Conservatives won 115 seats and then the NDP and Liberals each won, let's say, 110 each? How do you sort of break the deadlock of a Conservative Party with the most seats but uh, a really very slim margin and then the Liberals and NDP tied? And I think as someone who likes to watch politics for for kicks, really, uh, it's uh, one of the more uh, amazing possibilities. Paul, let me stick with you and ask, we've mentioned already that there could be pressure on Stephen Harper to step down if his minority is a small one. Mm-hmm. How much pressure will there be on the Liberals and the NDP if they have the opportunity to overtake Stephen Harper and the Conservatives? How much pressure will they face from their base? What are you hearing about that? I think there'll be quite a lot of pressure. Uh, certainly if the conservative government falls within the first few months, the tradition in our system, which we've never really had to take advantage of, would be that the liberals or NDP would have a chance to try to form a government with one another. So if, say, by January or February, a slim minority conservative government doesn't look like it's going to succeed, then there'd be an intense amount of pressure for one of the other two parties to take over. Whether that would be a proper coalition where they share power or just sort of an informal agreement where one party sort of supports the other for a limited amount of time, that's that's more difficult to say because there's sort of high costs associated with each. Mikhailo, in the interim, now I know we're forecasting here, this is all hypothetical, Yes, but If we were to assume, as the polls are suggesting now, a conservative minority, what would the conservatives be doing in between the election and their first kind of coming out to the public to try and say, look, you need to you need to let us hang on to power? How would they do that? Well, if it's close, they could say, look, this electoral result, which has reduced our majority to minority, is not a repudiation of our regime. It's just we don't like some things about you they could state but we're prepared to work harder and and, and maintain power however again if it's a huge margin away from the uh, majority territory the pressure on harper to step down would be enormous and he could probably step down somewhat gracefully having uh, achieved four conservative victories that's quite a success story and then there would be an interim conservative leader who would become the prime minister and that could be a Jason Kenney or some other Harperite. And then the question is, how quickly could they mount a, uh, you know, a conservative leadership race for the, the formal leader of the party? And could they do that before the throne speech, which would be expected in January or February? This could be Doug Ford's big chance. <laughs> for those listeners who are not familiar, former mayoral candidate in Toronto, Doug Ford, has expressed his willingness to try and succeed Stephen Harper as the leader of the Conservative Party. Uh, (laughs) We won't get into that today, but it is an intriguing possibility for so many reasons. Okay, Paul, it seems like with all of these interesting scenarios, there's a possibility of another election following closely on the heels of October 19th. 
elections cost a lot of money. Would the public really put up with us having another election, even if the conservatives are severely weakened to minority status? I think there certainly wouldn't be an appetite for one for, let's say, 18 to 24 months. So, I mean, there's sort of two parts of the cost to an election. There's sort of the the government cost. So Elections Canada has to operate the election, and, you know, this, this costs a decent amount of money. But you can always defend that as sort of the, the literal price of democracy. But the other cost is to the, the parties. So the, the Conservatives, the NDP, the Liberals will have spent an insane amount of money uh, during this election, especially because it's so long. Uh, this allows them to spend twice as much money as they usually do. And, and you certainly would have to believe that they're going to try to spend uh, as much as they can. So would they be able to turn around after having spent 50 or $60 million this fall and then be able to spend another 35 50 million dollars next year i mean it's it's unlikely so i mean one of the big motivations perhaps for the parties trying to come to some sort of agreement to support a minority government or a coalition would essentially be just to give them time to sort of uh, increase their bank balances again <laughs> Michaela, we've been talking a lot about the possibility of conservative minority rule but most polls have been showing the ndp at uh, the top of the polls or near the top would there be much controversy, do you think, if the NDP won more seats than the other two parties? Would they simply be expected to rule in that case? Oh, I think without a doubt. If the NDP won an historic victory on October 19th, and that has to be reminded, because if, if Tom Mulcair were to become prime minister, I mean, you can just imagine the ecstasy among supporters on election night. I mean, there are people who've been fighting for this in the New Democratic camp their entire lives. So it's, it's huge. And if they had that opportunity, even with a, a weak NDP government, of course, they'd seize it. Mulcair would attempt to try to become the prime minister of Canada. And given the, the, the dynamics you just described of the Canadian electorate not really having an appetite for another election right away, the expectation is even a weak NDP government could survive at least a year or two. You have both mentioned the fact that coalition governments occur in many other countries and many other governments. But I want to ask a couple of questions about our electoral system because I think that they've really fit in closely with this. We have three very competitive political parties vying for seats, and those seats could get broken up into a minority for one group or another. Do you, Paul, think that that's a problem with our system? Is it a problem that we have these three really popular parties who are splitting the votes into three large chunks? Yeah, I mean, I mean there are a couple of sort of issues with that. I mean, the, the first one is that a first-past-the-post system like we have, so a system where you have 338 seats and the winner of each individual seat uh, gets to the House of Commons. By itself, it's okay. I mean, if you have two different political parties, for instance, uh, it doesn't lead to too many unusual outcomes. However, it's a big problem, I think, when despite the fact that we have this winner-takes-all system, we still have three or four and sometimes even five bigger political parties. So what you end up with is a lot of scenarios where someone gets elected to the House of Commons with less than 30% of the vote. And you can even end up with even more unusual scenarios. So there was a recent Quebec election, for instance, where the Liberal Party won more votes than the Parti Québécois, but the Parti Québécois actually won a majority government. And this is just the result of our sort of uh, unusual system. So... If Canadians, through their voting, are 
pushing for three or four or five parties, then our first past the post system might be sort of a bad fit for for Canada. Mikhailo, come in on this because the idea that you could win the popular vote and lose the election sounds bananas to me. What do you think about our electoral system producing these kind of results? It's the system we've got, and it does flummox a lot of people. But look, I mean, the conservatives, they've won three governments now with uh, far less than 50% of the popular vote. Uh, I think their popular vote in the last three elections was somewhere between 35 and 39%. So basically a third of Canadians voted Conservatives and two-thirds did not. That's our system. The interesting scenario, I think, is what if it's really close and Greens, who have increasing popular support in British Columbia, uh, they only have two seats nationally, but they are hoping for some 12. They always say that. But they are pushing that if there is a close minority parliament, that they would go into bed with whatever party, even the Conservatives, if it meant that they could alter our system of electoral voting, that we would... And, sh- and, and basically show their relevance. That's their pitch. Give us a chance, Canada, they say, and we will be that voice in Parliament that will push for democratic reform, lead to the removal of this first-past-the-post system, and to a system that would elect even more coalition governments in the future. Strategic voting. That's going to become a huge part of this conversation as we go into October 19th. Paul, I'll start with you. Do you feel like Canadians understand enough about strategic voting and what it means to make it work in this election? Because there's going to be huge pressure on people to vote strategically to help one party lose, essentially, or to support another party bumping itself up. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to that question, actually. So do I think that Canadians can understand uh, how to vote strategically? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Canadians are generally pretty smart. What's really difficult, though, is getting enough information about your local riding to make a good strategic vote. I mean, certainly I know people in the past, just friends of mine, who have voted strategically, but they ended up voting for the, the wrong party strategically, so they didn't end up actually doing it correctly. So where we're going to really struggle in, in terms of having Canadians vote strategically, if this is what they want to do, is is it easy enough to assess which of the, let's say, non-conservative parties or non-liberal parties, however you want to vote, is the strongest to beat the party you don't want to win? So it's really confusing because there aren't local riding polls, there aren't uh, reliable signals for you to know that one party is stronger than the other in your local riding, because all we get is sort of national polls and regional polls. So it's a, as much as the act itself is is easy to understand, uh, doing it correctly is actually really difficult. Mikhailo, on strategic voting, you know, I think people lament it sometimes because they say you should just vote with your heart. But it seems like given the electoral system we have and the relative popularity of the parties that we have, strategic voting is just a reality. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's two thirds of the Canadian electorate who typically have not voted conservative in the last three elections. Um, There's a lot of Canadians, uh, those who are progressive, who will have a tough choice this 2015 election. Who do I pick that will most likely defeat Stephen Harper and the Conservatives? Is it going to be the New Democrats? Is it going to be the Liberals or the Greens or, in some cases, the Bloc? Um, That's a huge choice. And there are groups out there 
like leadnow.ca, you know, they're a group that are saying, we've done the thinking for you to help you decide how to best defeat the conservatives in your riding. So there's those types of groups. And those groups have typically existed for many elections, but I think in this election, people will be paying more attention, far more attention, to this strategic voting. People keep saying in all the polls that I see, in all the surveys that I see, that they like it when our politicians work together, that they like collaboration. Is this scenario actually a blessing for Canada because it provides more likelihood that our politicians will have to work together? Absolutely. I mean, in NDP lore, they always point to the minority parliaments of the 60s and 70s when Pearson governments and other governments, the liberal governments, were propped up informally by the NDP, producing some of the most progressive legislation we've seen in Canada. The Canada Health Care Act, the Canadian Pension Plan, these were all produced under minority parliaments. So minority parliaments can work. I think there's no question that the Conservative government has been a party that has not been a bridge builder with other parties and therefore may not be expected to be the kind of collaborative government that we've seen in in, in minority governments past. Okay, Paul, how about that to end off? Uh, Maybe the Conservatives will find the spirit of cooperation after all if the polls end up being true. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, politicians certainly have a history of uh, discovering their ability to like one another a lot more after an election uh, than during. So even if uh, any of the parties are saying, oh, I I won't go into a coalition with this one or I won't support this one in in terms of legislation, uh, what you'll find is that after the election, all of a sudden, you know, the spirit of, of cooperation will, will sweep upon the, um, the parties and, and they'll, find, they'll find it so, sort of somehow in their hearts to cooperate in the best interest of Canada. I mean, you see this all the time, and I'm, I'm being a little bit glib, I guess, but I mean, this is uh, pretty much what's going to happen. Well, I want to thank both of you for your cooperation and your insight today. Paul Ferry in Calgary, Mikhailo Prestupa in Vancouver, thank you both for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks, Desmond. Thanks, Paul. So, Andre, welcome to the studio. I know you had a little trouble getting here and Uh, missed the interview that we just did. Glad you're here. Very glad you're here. Me too. Thank you. Because I want to talk to you about this idea of coalitions. Like, we're dealing with something here that has basically never happened before, which is three parties that are neck and neck and neck after the election is over we have this potentially really weird and unprecedented situation where it's not going to be clear who's going to lead. A lot of people that I know, you know, I I went home recently and I was talking to a lot of my family members and they were like, why don't the Liberals and NDP just get together? Get together and form a coalition? Well, think about that. So the, the, just the general terribleness of this campaign so far, it would culminate in two parties who I think have done a very terrible job of bringing attention to the serious issues in this campaign getting together, I I don't really have a whole lot of faith in that process. Now, you know, though, that a whole bunch of people in those two respective camps, the Liberals and the NDP, their main focus is, and we've been hearing this for years in Canada, that they want to see the Conservatives go. They want Stephen Harper and the Conservative Party out of government. So how can you say that it would be a bad thing for them to join. I'm not uh, saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying that their inability to actually articulate issues that should be important to the Canadian public and that we should be voting on. The idea that 
winning is the most important thing and having the conservatives go is the most important thing. It makes me upset because I hear I heard this since like last year. People have been telling me the most important thing right now is to make sure that Stephen Harper gets out and to get the conservatives out. And I'm like, really? I mean, maybe to you, that's the most important thing. An important thing to me would be, I don't know, poverty reduction. Like, let's actually talk about what our priorities are. Let's say that the liberals and the NDP do get together and they form a coalition. So the most important thing is keeping this leftist coalition in power. And then we just get to continue to erase all the issues that marginalized people have had to face in Canada since ever. I hear people saying that there's something I really don't want. So I will accept anything other than this thing I really don't want. You, you see it out there. You see it on social media, ABC, anyone but conservative, as if that were somehow a strategy, as if that were somehow an ideology, which it absolutely is not. I agree with you. But at the same time, Andre, an election is a practical exercise. It is about winning and or losing. Remember the first anyone but Bush campaign, which took place back in 2004. And so that campaign resulted in Democratic nominee John Kerry, a bland, boring, like try to appeal to everyone kind of candidate. And that didn't work. I think we're making the same mistake in Canada. where We're like, OK, well, anybody but conservatives. And then we will just go with this really bland sort of we don't actually stand for anything, but we're not conservatives or so therefore vote for us. I think that whatever is going to be resultant from that is going to be weak. So if I'm hearing you correctly, then, Andre, you're actually saying that it would be better for people to fight on the set of issues that they want to see moved forward than to simply fight against a political party. Absolutely. The, the issue that I take with the first past the poll system is that it results in this really bizarre approach to strategic voting, which means that you forget about everything and you just like throw your weight and support to whoever could possibly win. But then that's where you stay. You don't actually branch out after that and say, okay, well, now that we've actually won, here are some really cool things that we can do. So yeah, I think that issues should be at the forefront. I think that Whoever wins, yes, that's important as well. But let's let's keep like there's a whole lot of problems in Canada to fix. We already know that. And yet it always keeps taking a back seat to, well, who's in power right now? Maybe just keep that at the forefront of our minds. Let's make this a fair Canada rather than make let's make this a Canada where my people win. I'm just not sold on the idea of coalitions because I have no faith in the ability of a coalition to govern the way that I think it needs to be governed. That's fine. I mean, I'm just going to go on record and say I think you're nuts. Because, <laughs> no, honestly. Well, you ain't the first person to say it, so. The reason being that this is not a partisan statement that I'm trying to make here. I'm just saying that if your goal politically is to get yourself in a position to affect those issues that you're talking about, and you're going to give up the best chance that it's you have to It's not a matter of getting yourself into the position. I just, here's my thing. I don't have any faith that a coalition between the Liberals and the NDP will actually result in the policy changes that I think need to happen. You're bumming people out, man. I got to tell you, because you're really suggesting that none of our political parties can work together. And although there's so I'm much, not, hang on, hang okay, on, although okay. there's so much evidence to confirm what you're saying, that these guys have a very hard time working together. I mean, this bodes really poorly for us because we're in a situation where it is almost certain that someone will have to try and work with somebody else. And you're telling us that that's not possible. I'm not going to say that they can't work together. I'm just saying that them working together will not affect the changes that I think need to be made for Canada right now. Maybe they'll surprise me. Maybe this will actually happen. I just don't have any faith that it will. Hey, yo, everybody who's listening out there right now, you are going to have to get yourselves active after October 19th comes because someone is going to have to work with someone in this country lest everything come to a grinding halt. And maybe our politicians are not in a position to do it, but somebody's got to kick their butts into gear in order to tell them that they have to. 
That's our show for this week. If you'd like to search for us on Twitter and keep the conversation going, just search Canada Land Commons. It'll be the first result you find. Thank you so much to our producer, Imogen Burchard, and to Nathan Burley, who makes the music for this program. If you'd like to go to the Canada Land Show website, it's at canadalandshow.com. Email us at desmond at canadalandshow.com. Or me, andre at canadalandshow.com. You can also subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Since you love this show, please chip in at patreon.com slash canadaland. Show us some love. Please tweet about the show. Give us that wonderful five-star review and tell everybody you know about how great we are. Tell all your people. Now, Canada Land Shortcuts is coming up on Thursday and the next episode of Commons will be up next Tuesday. Peace out. From Virginia. This ain't gonna stop till we just gonna continue. Wow. Me and you, <laughs> your mama and your cousin too. <laughs> this episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer.